Hello, good afternoon. Hope I'm audible okay. Perfect, thank you. Uh, it's going to be an exciting session. Welcome to Win302, migrating Microsoft applications to AWS like an expert. I'm joined today with my colleague Rahul Kulkarni, who is a partner solution architect. I'm Giriraj Daga, solution architect working with large enterprise customers. And I'm thrilled to have Will Everett, who's from Pacific, part of Seven West Media, who's traveled all the way from Australia to share his interesting story of how they migrated. <laughs> yeah, how they migrated from Azure to AWS, uh, uh, a key part of the .NET application. And, and I can see already they love their .NET, and he's got an interesting T-shirt. So I'm sure we're going to have fun, Will. Actually says cool as F sharp C sharp, not the other thing you were thinking. <laughs> Can't wait to hear more. <laughs> so, uh, AWS supported Microsoft workloads for over a decade. Um, we were the first cloud platform uh, where Windows Server 2000, uh, Windows Server was supported back in 2008. And since then, a lot of customers, hundreds and thousands of customers, have deployed uh, their business critical applications: uh, Exchange, Active Directory, SharePoint on AWS. And I think uh, while most uh, customers still identify the increased business agility as a key driver for them to migrate uh, to AWS, but they uh, find a lot of value and uh, on the foundational benefits like just higher reliability, improved performance, and more choice um, to, to be able to meet their business goals faster. So while we find that there are a lot of motivations uh, on why customers migrate their Microsoft workloads on AWS, but we often get now asked this question, how can I do it quickly? So for this session, what we decided was we'll focus mostly on the how part, not the why part. So how can uh, you do it quickly, migrate at large scale your Microsoft workloads on AWS? So our goal today is that in the next one hour, we give you uh, methods, means, um, ways that you can take back and see how you can simplify large-scale migrations of Microsoft workloads on AWS. We usually find customers are on tight budget, tight timelines. This is a double bubble when you're doing the migration, so you want the complexities kicks in. So we hope we'll share with you ways in which you can simplify large-scale migrations um, of maybe multiple data centers. And we see that uh, Another part of the journey is to be doing it confidently. Uh, and it could be an iterative process where you uh, do it in multiple phases. So that's where automation helps. So we'll share some tips and tricks on how can you automate and build repeatable architecture with best practices. And in the end, we're hoping that you take away an actionable plan of what you can do. Go back, talk to your team, talk to your uh, 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 stakeholders in the organization, and build a plan of moving ahead with Microsoft workloads on AWS. I love this slide. This reminds me of my four-year-old, where things are always where they're not supposed to be, like the propeller head. Uh, this is a disclaimer that this is a level 300 session. And we're not all in the same journey, same stages of our journey on AWS. Uh, some of you might have already deployed a lot of Microsoft workloads on AWS, maybe here to learn more about the best practices, how can you do things differently. There could be others who are just dipping their toes and. Uh, are on the on, on the verge to get started, and they want to know how to do it better or how to do it uh, uh, by learning from the battle scars of the past. So, what we try to, as we try to juggle these expectations, um, we 
try to cover uh, uh, we tried to cover areas that could uh, hopefully add uh, to everyone's expectations and uh, give you something valuable for your time but we request your patience at some places we might go too deep and some places we might go broad uh, but we assure you there's a lot of show and tell demo and, and there's a lot of build outs so hopefully uh, it's fun and you, you enjoy your time here and we also have a lot of small uh, like links in the presentation so if you want to take a take your phone out click the pictures you can do that and otherwise the slides will be available on SlideShare and the recorded session will be also on YouTube so with that let's just jump right in so this is uh, a company unicorn shop uh, their vision is to enable everyone who desires to become a unicorn to look like one when I first showed this slide to Will he said wow you guys have them in Bombay <laughs> I said they might be in Australia too and you never know you can find them in Mandalay Bay I was just making it up it's a fictitious company but they they're doing great they have an e-commerce offering where you can buy I hear cool glasses maybe even unicorn wings if you fancy them but what they have built is that they're built on top of a, leg, a lot of legacy uh, environment so they have uh, and they're very invested in Microsoft technology so they have .NET based uh, store front-end applications they have CMS applications uh, they have uh, 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 their emails are hosted in Office 365 and uh, but of late like many other customers they're finding it difficult to just keep the lights on while a significant part of their budget is diverted towards keeping the lights on but it hardly remains on it's flickering and at the same time the developers are frustrated because while there's a lot of business demand and growth they're not able to uh, uh, like un uh, unlock those opportunities and ideas and deliver things faster because it takes a lot of time to get new hardware and also uh, adopt new technologies. So while these are common, um, one other thing now uh, uh, is becoming important for them is that as more digital business is becoming part of their core uh, business, digital services, it's very important. Any outages that in previous years would not have been noticed or got that much attention is not the same now. Uh, if the core part of the business is relying on um, uh, making 24x7 uh, availability to their end customer, they have to be up. They have to be highly performing. And as the business is growing, business wants to go into different markets, maybe try different models, brick and mortar stores. They have to remain agile and innovate. So they realize they're not there yet and they need a strong foundation where they can differentiate themselves and create cutting edge, uh, competitive edge. And that's when they started a IT transformation journey of many years and they've chosen AWS to build it. So while they started this journey, they were thinking about whether should I build only uh, cloud native apps on AWS? Should I just start new and uh, leverage the serverless containers, technologies, and only build that? Or is there value in migrating what I already have? And they found that, uh, talking to uh, many other customers, that uh, even just the higher reliability, even everything fails all the time, but ability to recover fast, build more fault-tolerant applications, and, and uh, just highly performing application all the time is also a lot of value in itself and gives a lot of dev productivity. So those things can be unlocked, and uh, it, it could start their journey on AWS, where they lift and shift what they already have, 
and at the same time position for modernization, whether it is adding personalization services, analytics or uh, uh, just uh, reacting faster to their business demand. And with that, uh, I would like to invite uh, Rahul to show you a glimpse of how they did it. Solutions architect at AWS. Can't hear me? Okay. Thank you. All right. So, uh, what I'm showing you right now before I get started with the entire migration demo is the current environment that Unicorn Shop has, right? They're running Hyper V, right, with these VMs. You can notice that a few of the VMs are off, and I'll tell you why uh, when we come to the end of the demo, right? Uh, so, when you get started with a migration journey, the first thing that you would want to do is to plan your migration, right? And the only way you can plan your migration is when you have the data, right? Uh, what kind of applications are running on it? Uh, what are the interdependencies between the applications, right? So we have a service. AWS has a service called as the Application Discovery Service, right? This is an agent-based or an agent-less service that can be deployed on your on-premise environment. Now, I've deployed the uh, Application Discovery Service agents on the uh, virtual machines about 20 days back. So it's been collecting a lot of data, and it's going to help me plan the entire migration. Let's, let's have a look at the data that has been collected. Now, the application discovery service is tightly integrated with the migration hub, right? Migration hub is your single, uh, I would say, pane of glass throughout your entire migration. It helps you discover applications, it helps you plan your migration, and it also helps you track your migration, right? So these are all the servers that, that you saw in the Hyper-E environment also listed here. This is because the agents on those servers are being uh, are, are sending the data. Let's have a look at the data that the servers have, have sent out, right? So this is one of the graphs that I've built out on Amazon QuickSight, our visualization service. This is the utilization chart, right? So on the x-axis is the server names. You can see server one, server two, server eight. On the y-axis is the utilization of memory. You can see that server one and server four have a pretty high utilization, whereas the other servers are underutilized. Uh, I think the same with the, the CPU utilization as well. Server four and server one are pretty well utilized, whereas others are not. These graphs or, or this data is very important to right-size your environment on AWS, because that's, that's how you get the best value when you run on AWS. That is one of the aspects. The other aspects with respect to planning is what are the dependencies between the application? So let me flip over to another chart that I built using the data. This is the app to server map. As you can see on the x-axis is the servers. On the y-axis are the application IDs. So I have three applications running. Uh, application one is running on server eight and server uh, 11. Okay, application two is running on, on server three and application three is running on server five. So this gives me uh, a knowledge of, okay, what application is running where. But I also need to understand the dependencies between the servers and the applications. So this chart, which I built using the data that we have, tells me, okay, what are the ports that are being used? So for example, server eight uh, talks to server four on port 455. Now 455, you know, is the SMB protocol, so that means Server 8 is talking to a file share there. Server 4 is like a file share. Server 7 talks to Server 8 over port 1433. 
And this is like a heat map, so it tells you how active it is, right? So these are all the graphs that you can build and helps me identify what are the three dependencies and how can I plan my migration. Now, using this data that I have, I go back to Migration Hub and I specify the applications. So I've identified three applications. I have a SharePoint that runs on-premises, right? Uh, in fact, all of them run on-premises. I have a file share, and I have a CMS storefront, which is a .NET application that runs uh, a SQL Server backend. Now, once I've had these applications, the next thing I can do is, uh, before, I, before I forget, right, the discovery tools are not just limited to the, uh, the, the discovery tools that I mentioned. You can also import data from any other discovery tool that you have. The second thing is the target write sizing, right? So if you look at the utilization, based on the utilization reports, I can determine what should be the size of my AWS environment for all the servers that were running in my Hyper-V. Let me, I, I just downloaded a report, let me just show that to you. So you can see that there are all the servers that are listed here, and the recommendation based on utilization is C5X large. We saw that server four was, was kind of utilized pretty high, so it's, it's been recommended to use as C4x large. Server 8, which is underutilized, is C5x large. That's because it's been downsized. It's not being used as much as, as it should. Now, these are the recommendations that, that uh, the Migration Hub uh, provides you. Now, next step is to actually go and plan and migrate, right? So I have the applications here, right? Uh, and if I go to the Migration tab, I can build out this chart or this becomes my single dashboard to track my migration. I want, I mean, since I'm running SharePoint, I want to do a lift and shift. I, I want to use a tool that is simple enough that will just replicate the blocks and uh, help me get out of my data center as quickly as possible. So I use a tool called as Cloud Endure, which basically replicates the data as blocks and is available on AWS. How do I set up Cloud Endure? So in the setup, uh, first thing I would need to do is actually set up, set up the uh, access key and, and my credentials there. Now, this is required to actually, uh, this helps Cloud Endure not only replicate the data, but also launch the target instances on AWS. The next thing is the replication settings, right? The replication settings talks about what is my source, what is my target, which region on AWS? What are the subnets where the data is going to be replicated? Which, which kind of disks that I want to use? Now, these subnets are actually created in accounts that has been provisioned uh, using Control Tower. And we'll co cover Control Tower, which is one of the fastest way to set up your accounts and networking uh, a little later, right? So once I, once I have these replication settings in place, the next thing I do is start replication. The way I start replication is I download an agent to that particular VM, and it starts replicating by itself. So if you look at the source, the source was server seven. The first thing it tells me is what are the applications that are running on server seven? And you can see SharePoint here, right? And, and WCF services and, and, and other tools. The next thing it tells me, the next thing I need to configure is a blueprint. The blueprint uh, helps me decide what is the target EC2 instance that I need to uh, launch this SharePoint server as. Now, since I'm replicating with the operating system and, and the SharePoint licenses, I can use the dedicated host. This is one of the mechanisms using which you can actually bring your licenses onto AWS, and we'll cover that in a, in a, in a bit. Now, 
Once I save this blueprint, there are two ways I can launch the instance. One in test mode and the other one is the cutover mode. So test mode is helping me test the application. Once it's replicated all the blocks to see if everything is fine. And once I'm fine, I can go into the cutover mode where you know, the, the, I'm good to go for production. So that's what I've done. And you can see that these are the three, uh, uh, I would say, VMs which were there on my on-premise environment which were switched off which are right now running on AWS. And let me just open up server seven, which is the web front end, right? So this is the URL of the SharePoint. And I'm going to enter the uh, Active Directory domain, which I used on-premise. And the way I'm able to log in is because I've established trust between the on-premise Active Directory and the managed Active Directory I have in my account. Using this, I'm able to use the same credentials. So let me just go ahead and log in and see if it works out. And you can see SharePoint has been completely replicated and with the existing Active Directory authentication that I can use on-premises. So this is, this is the power of Cloud Endure. Within a few clicks, you'll be able to replicate and uh, launch your your on-premise uh, instances. Uh, I just want to show one, one last demo with, uh, with respect to another tool that we launched. So this tool is, is perfect for uh, operators who are managing web servers. And one of the things that Unicorn Shop's uh, management requested was try to move into a managed environment so that you know, the undifferentiated heavy lifting of managing servers and patching, right, is taken off and so that you can focus on something more productive. So we've just launched a new tool which helps operators actually migrate ASP.NET websites which are running on IIS. So you look, you look at this ASP.NET website which is on server three, right? This is the storefront application and this is the site, right? You can see this server3.unicornshoplol.com. This is the on-premise environment which is there. Now, this tool is, is a PowerShell tool, so I have run it, and what it does is it packages the on-premise IIS environment and its dependencies and migrates it to Elastic Beanstalk. Now, before this, I've also migrated the database itself, and uh, since the management required a managed environment, I've replicated the database to, to RDS using a tool called as Database Migration Services. Now, at the end of this, right, this tool, which, which actually migrates the database, gives me an endpoint. Let me just hit the endpoint to see if my database has been migrated properly or not. Not, not just my database, but my application as well. And it does, right? So this is running on Elastic Beanstalk and in a completely managed environment so that the folks at Unicorn Shop can focus on something that is, that is productive and leave the uh, undifferentiated heavy lifting to, to AWS. Uh, and that's the end of the demo. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. That was Chris. What you just saw was a combination of few services to discover data that's there in your environment, 
use Migration Hub, which in itself doesn't cost anything, but helps you to track everything together, and used Cloud Endure as a tool to migrate uh, the SharePoint, Microsoft SharePoint application, as well as another tool which we'll go through, uh, we'll share the links on how you can do it yourself. It's available on GitHub. Uh, so that helps to migrate an existing ASP.NET website into a managed Elastic Beanstalk service. So uh, you may ask, so that's great, you did migration, but let's talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, how about licensing and the cost? Uh, how does that work out? So uh, when it comes to Microsoft products, uh, your current uh, licensing models can easily dictate your cloud infrastructure uh, solutions. And uh, we provide a lot of options for the customers to select what works best for them. Many of times I have discussion with customers who uh, are, who find value in the pay as you go price for compute and they say, for my elastic workloads, I want the same for the licenses. Uh, if it's my horizontally, like if I'm scaling out my web servers or my API servers I, and I'm scaling back in, that's perfect fit for license included model where I'm not only paying for the compute but for the license also and pay uh, for whatever I use. But then I may have steady state workloads and I may already have investments done on premises for license that I want to bring over if, uh, to stretch my investment. And for that, we have dedicated hosts. Um, how it works is uh, products with active software assurance and license mobility benefits, like example SQL Server, can be deployed uh, with software assurance, can be deployed on either the shared tenancy or the dedicated host. But the other products which are not eligible for license mobility, for example, Windows Server, or SQL Server without SA. And um, if they were purchased on or before October 1st, you can bring them over on dedicated host. And that is a very uh, compelling and cost-effective option for a lot of Microsoft workloads where uh, you want to reuse the licenses that you already have. And we'll go over that in a few minutes. So we've been supporting uh, BYOL uh, on dedicated host since 2015. Last year, we announced License Manager that made it easier for you to even be compliant with your licenses. This is a very, it's a, it's, it, this service has been adopted very fast and it's very popular with customers because it helps you to uh, avoid, uh, 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 avoid violations of your licensing, uh, 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 license consumption. For example, if you had 48 cores of license of SQL Server, you start the year with 48 and you find that later in the year you, more instances have been launched and you need to do a true up and get more, um, you need to uh, order more licenses. But using License Manager, you can map the rules of your enterprise agreement into uh, 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 configurations and then at the launch, when you're launching an instance, you can restrict that it is not, you can prevent it to be launched if it exceeds your, if you've already exhausted your available licenses. So what that means is that you, your true up times or your audit will be quite fast because everything is available in a single dashboard uh, where you can see what's compliant and not. And you have an option. You can either enforce that it doesn't get launched or you can say I just want to have detective controls so that I can go and figure out why uh, more instances were launched. And this year, this has been made a lot easier. The management experience of working on with license manager with dedicated host has been uh, significantly enhanced. Uh, Sandy Carter mentioned this a uh, couple of days back in her keynote that um, now you can create a host resource group and associate that with uh, license manager. So what were the challenges with dedicated host before? 
you had to allocate the dedicated host and in each family of dedicated host you could only have a particular instance type. That did not feel like a EC2 experience which has now been modified. So now you can have the same EC2 like experience with dedicated host. If you get an R5 family you can have an R5X large and R5X large on the same dedicated host and what more you can leave it to AWS to manage it for you. So depending on the configuration you set on the host resource group, it can automatically allocate dedicated host or release the dedicated host when it's not uh, uh, required. So quick illustration, let's say if you had a C5 dedicated host, you launched an X-large instance. Now you launched another 2X-large instance. Because the space is available, it can, it'll uh, place the instance on the same host and you don't have to do that by yourself. Maybe you expand and you uh, get M5, C5, R5 families and the same thing will happen and as you start terminating, it terminates let's say M5, 4X large, it will take away from the second host and then it still uh, runs the host because you're still running M5, X large but if you terminate M5, X large, that goes away and now this is available, this can be released based on the settings that you've set so it will automatically be released so you'll not be paying for that. So this way, uh, it gives you the same EC2-like experience on dedicated host. At the same time, you can stretch your investments in um, um, your licenses. So uh, while dedicated host is great for BYOL workloads, there are other ways in which you can optimize cost. Uh, many times, manual assessments don't give you complete and accurate information on how much resource consumption uh, is uh, there on the instances. So you, if you do the right sizing of instances, me, meeting the performance that you need. Uh, uh, for meeting the same performance or of your application, what's the resources that you need on AWS? Uh, uh, selecting the right instance type, we have a lot of choices of instance types. Uh, databases consume a lot of memory, they work better on the memory optimized instances like R5, i3, Z1D. Uh, uh, most other workloads are on balanced workloads, you can run it on M5. And many customers find, Zero is one customer who's talked about it, that instead of having big servers, they started using a lot of small servers because that gave them a lot of value in scaling out and scaling in and became more cost effective. So they, they use a lot of T2 and T3 small instances uh, for variable workloads. So like that, there are many options and AWS team can come and help you uh, optimize licenses costs. So, uh, and we also have tools like TSO Logic which can help you understand the impact of moving Microsoft workloads on AWS. And typically we find that it uh, offers you uh, about 36% savings if you otherwise do it yourself. So, and it now aligns very well with the savings plan that we recently launched as one more pricing model beyond spot on demand and reserved instance. So there's a lot of options where uh, you can really uh, make it cost effective to run Windows workloads on AWS. So talk to your AWS team and they can uh, and hopefully support you in that endeavor. So there's more information on these links if you want to uh, get more information, uh, find out more. So many times we get asked, uh, with the benefit of hindsight, how can, what can you tell us that we can uh, use to go fast and, and safe? So what we found is that there are a lot of generic things, um, like you just know what, uh, what's there in your environment, um, know what's your roadmap like, what's your technical application versus strategic applications, uh, but more importantly, set up a landing zone for scale. 
And what it means is that lay a strong foundation for a multi-account, multi-VPC architecture, which is automated, includes your safety guardrails uh, as part of the uh, uh, automated process, so that when you want to add more workloads, it's easier for you to sell it internally. And that's what we want to talk about. So uh, easiest way to set up multi-account, multi-VPC architecture with best practices on AWS is control tower. It helps you uh, uh, set up an automated account vending machine and the new account that come up have the guardrails they adhere to the, let's say if you've set up uh, a common logging account that all the logs, VPC cloud trail, uh, VPC flow logs, they all get centralized into one account. So for existing as well as new account, it will all uh, uh, come to one S3 bucket in a common logging account which can, which can have your SIEM tool or your uh, InfoSec access to that where it cannot be tempered or deleted. So those cartels and controls are already set up. So now when you launch a new account, it already adheres to that. Many things like that is simplified through, a, uh, through that uh, AWS control tower. So if we go back to one of the common uh, starting points in Microsoft workloads is Active Directory. So uh, how do we take this uh, uh, multi-account architecture set up through control tower and build an architecture for, uh, 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 so common thing will be a shared services account. Uh, there are a lot of things in the Microsoft environment like DNS servers, Active Directory, uh, key management that has to be, that is common across the entire organization. You want to create a shared services account or a VPC where you can host your uh, managed Active Directory set up trust with your on-premises Active Directory, and maybe either use ADFS if you're already doing federation with Office 365, or use SSO as a service uh, if you don't want to manage uh, instances in your account. There's a lot of deep dive sessions that happened this week, which talks, there's complete deep dive on Active Directory, SQL Server. So these are some topics which I'm glossing over, but if you want to know different patterns and how to do it, definitely recommend to uh, watch those sessions. One of the common uh, scenarios with uh, Microsoft workloads is how do you manage multiple DNS services? So when you have on-premises, you have DNS service mapped to uh, the part of your Active Directory. Same way when you launch a managed Active Directory on cloud, uh, AWS, there's also a DNS service. But everything that you launch in AWS gets resolved through Route 53. So when you have these multiple services, uh, how do you uh, make all of these seamlessly work together? And that is, uh, uh, supported by two features in Route 53, uh, a resolver endpoint and conditional forwarder. So if you take advantage of those two, you can, as your DNS queries originating from on-premises can uh, talk, uh, res resolve a uh, hosted domain on AWS through the resolver endpoint and any outbound queries from the VPC for an on-premises domain can be forwarded. A conditional forwarder rule can be added to Route 53 resolver, which forwards it to the on-premises DNS. So this way, you can have a seamless operation of whatever workloads when you work in a hybrid environment. And this also is supported through a share. It can be shared across multiple accounts. So you can put this rules of a DNS rules conditional forwarder in a shared uh, services account and then using resource access manager share it with other workload accounts so that we don't have to repeat it uh, multiple times and you can centralize that. So after Active Directory, uh, one of the common um, backend for uh, Microsoft Shop will be a SQL Server. You have options to move to EC2 or RDS. 
and the methods are either you do a full backup restore if you have tolerance for uh, downtime or you could use uh, native SQL Server methods for let's say mission critical workload. Uh, for example, if you have SQL Server 2016 and above, this is a very popular method with a lot of our customers. I have, uh, 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 there's one customer in India who did that for a SaaS product where you didn't have control on the end consumer. And uh, so they set up uh, a availability group uh, on premises and uh, another secondary availability group on AWS. They started replicating it and could use the, uh, 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 validate the data on the secondary availability group. And when they were ready, they could just force failover from uh, the primary uh, availability group to the secondary availability group, which is a native method separated from SQL Server that allows you to do a very minimal downtime migration. And it's a very popular way of doing uh, uh, application migration. Lastly, uh, if you are looking at replatforming um, to RDS, you can use DMS service, which helps you to do homogeneous as well as heterogeneous migrations. Uh, one thing I'll just call out on SQL Server, many times you, uh, uh, you get an instance type, uh, there are fixed instance types on AWS. So you may get more cores than you need. And because you're paying by the cores, you may uh, have to incur additional cost. But there's a feature called optimizing CPU where you can control the number of active vCPU on an instance. So if you, for example, if you launch a 16 core machine uh, because of the RAM that it has and you, you need that, but you only need eight cores, you can, you, at the launch time, you can say, I only need eight active vCPU. That means you only need to bring in license equivalent of eight vCPU, not 16. And that's a very powerful way to uh, control the cost of your SQL licenses on AWS. Uh, this is an eye chart. I don't expect to go through or read, uh, you to read it, but I'll leave it here for reference. Uh, it helps you map it, uh, which methods work with what uh, target service. This is also a service that was launched last year, uh, SMB compliant, fully managed file storage service. It's becoming, uh, it's one of the very fastly adopted services as well. And it, you can migrate your on-premises file shares using maybe simple tools like RoboCopy, where metadata and the file data is transferred to FSx. And then you don't have to worry about the underlying uh, management of uh, a typical file share. So you can maintain a highly available environment. And now, uh, as of this week, it also supports deduplication. So typically, that can also help you to make it a really cost-effective option as you want to re-platform your shared file storage services. So with that, before I go into uh, maybe a lot of the application migration strategies, I wanted to uh, uh, hear from Will what has been their journey of migrating to AWS. Yeah. Okay. Ours is a fairly uh, simple and uh, quick story, but um, incredibly uh, epic. Uh, for us because it was um, like a, a real game changer um, uh, for, our, uh, for our business. So yeah, um, but, but basically um, in terms of um, uh, our journey, so uh, for Pacific uh, magazines, as was mentioned, it's a part of um, Seven West uh, Media. Um, in the mid noughties all of our digital assets uh, went into uh, Yahoo, uh, and then we got them back effectively 10 years later. So we call that the lost decade. So it's very uncommon for a kind of a major publisher 
not to be in control of their own kind of uh, destiny. So that was a, a really big thing uh, for us. Um, you know, pre pretty much within a kind of uh, a very short space of time, once we'd actually uh, received those kind of uh, digital properties back. So, you know, some of the uh, iconic brands uh, that we're actually across, the likes of, you know, uh, Better Homes and Gardens, Instal, Marie Claire, uh, etc. Uh, we had like a two or three month uh, period uh, to launch all of these sites uh, in. So it was a fairly uh, rapid uh, deployment. Thank you. Um, and uh, effectively, um, our kind of um, uh, initial uh, architecture, uh, if you like, um, it was uh, based on a managed uh, Azure uh, web environment. And what we actually experienced uh, initially with that is that we were having uh, issues with things like um, uh, page speed. Uh, and we were also uh, experiencing some instability issues. So we needed a kind of a, a stopgap just to keep up with the growth uh, of the business. So how we addressed that, we did effectively a reverse um, uh, proxy. Uh, and what we uh, got there is we put in front uh, the cloud uh, front CDN. So that kind of borders um, uh, a bit of time. Um, but you know we had continued rapid audience uh, growth. So year on year, it was about kind of 70%. Uh, and that actually meant our infrastructure uh, started to get, to get uh, wobbly uh, again. Now, that was great for our audience strategy. Our audience strategy was working uh, really well. Um, but on the flip side of that, um, the, what started to happen, we started to have uh, outages we, um, our consumer engagement, the user engagement started to uh, reduce. And this also started to kind of decrease our SEO uh, authority. And we kind of all knew where this was going to uh, lead us to, apart from getting fired, uh, of course, uh, was impacting uh, our digital uh, revenue. And this was a, a key growth part um, of our uh, business. So, um, you know, some of the kind of uh, key reasons uh, why we chose uh, uh, Amazon uh, ECS, uh, I guess, uh, I guess uh, one thing we knew is that our digital growth uh, was going to continue to grow uh, rapidly. Um, and, you know, there was an urgent requirement that we obviously needed high availability but also uh, resilience. Now, we wanted to make the right choice uh, for, you know, to future-proof. So we were also thinking about, you know, our future agility, automation, uh, and uh, efficiency. Um, and we'd, we had worked on a couple of our kind of e-commerce uh, sites uh, with uh, AWS. So uh, really a key um, reason of why we went down this path was really our kind of partnership and confidence, um, not only in AWS, um, but also the AWS solution uh, provider uh, who helped us uh, on this journey, who was uh, Kablamo. So um, initially, kind of, um, you know, uh, what we were targeting uh, as part of this was, um, first of all, 
um, agility. So we're getting the, uh, the faster builds and uh, deployments. Uh, the automation, so we had the blue-green uh, deployment uh, in infrastructure, so uh, infrastructure uh, as code. We had efficiencies, so you know we made significant cost savings uh, in all of this because um, you know uh, there were various sites that were just growing exponentially, uh, and we were just having to go kind of extra large all the time for the for those instances, uh, and we didn't have the the flex, but also visibility. That kind of detailed monitoring uh, and analysis gave my engineers that next level of uh, detail to understand kind of uh, what we needed. So this was kind of like the uh, post-migration uh, um, uh, architecture. And um, really from the way we uh, migrated, um, we effectively did it uh, as a site at a time. So we uh, effectively uh, froze uh, kind of content um, uh, publishing uh, and just did uh, each, each site uh, step by step. So we started off with a bit of a canary, a site that had a bit of the uh, lower traffic. Um, and really, because we are in such a kind of, there's so much urgency, we then hit the big sites that were getting the big traffic straight away. Um, and with our kind of uh, uh, solution partner, Kablamo, um, they basically upskilled our own internal staff. So even though they helped kind of map out the roadmap and the strategy, once then we got to the kind of the ongoing rollout, um, our team were upskilled enough to basically uh, complete those um, rollouts. So um, yeah, pretty much kind of uh, flicked over and throughout the course, um, of all of this, we had no downtime, and that was over a dozen sites that we kind of uh, migrated um, in that process. Um, and as as mentioned, you know, we did do the blue-green deployments uh, for our uh, continuous uh, delivery uh, as well. So, I guess you know, uh, how did the migration uh, help us to? Uh, with AWS, I think the biggest, one of the biggest things is just confidence. We now have the confidence that with the future of uh, growth of our business, um, you know, with kind of um, just even from a load uh, perspective, when the audience load is, uh, you know, increases uh, or decreases, uh, we now have the confidence in the platforms that we can use auto scale to handle those. Uh, situations and we were kind of lucky in a way because um, it was not shortly after we had completed the last migration we actually had a DDoS attack uh, and that generated uh, an extra 500% uh, kind of uh, traffic onto one of our sites uh, some of the editorial team got really excited they thought they'd released a big news story but no, it wasn't that. Um, but what it did prove is that you know we are ready now with our platforms for the future and for the future kind of um, uh, growth uh, that we've got um, uh, planned. Um, so I guess you know uh, what's uh, next uh, for Pacific. So um, you know uh, we feel this is kind of one of our first steps uh, in our agile uh, journey. We still need more kind of agility uh, in our products and services. So you know, this is where we kind of see 
um, it's uh, critical building out more microservices. So whether that's kind of containerized with AWS Fargate or serverless with kind of uh, Amazon PI or Lambda. Now, um, a big part of that is, um, you know, we're always, because it's media, you know, whether it's um, uh, Apple News, um, you know, Facebook Instant Article, uh, or even Apple News Plus, there's always a new kind of uh, media channel that we're having to get to. And to be competitive, it's who can get there quickest and build up that kind of extra reach uh, an audience. So for us, um, decoupling our kind of uh, content publishing away from our content display uh, is also uh, critical. So we're aiming that. So as part of our kind of uh, product roadmap for 2020, we're looking to build out that content API and again, just get that greater flexibility uh, in our stack. Um, also, again, that focus on staying ahead of the um, competitors. We're also looking at kind of um, uh, content personalization using uh, AWS uh, machine learning. And we're also looking to use uh, Alexa for our voice services as well. So that's really our journey. And uh, we do feel like this now we're on AWS. So. <laughs> Thanks, Will. No worries. So it's a good testimony of how uh, once you don't have to worry about uh, the infrastructure and you have a more fault-tolerant, immutable infrastructure, you can focus and divert your energy towards building your differentiation. So glad and, and looking forward to what more you, you do on the platform. So uh, at a high level, application migration strategies could be like one of three things. If you really want something to move fast, you can do re-host, and that also uh, delivers value. Uh, we'll look at that. And if you can containerize your application, that's where you can start utilizing uh, a bit of cloud economics like DevOps, um, immutable infrastructure, uh, and, and benefits of releasing f uh, uh, features faster. And more importantly, you can also start to refactor slowly and gradually at your own pace to, to more modernization uh, benefits. And same way, if you have already built any event-driven .NET Core-based applications, you can directly go to Lambda or serverless functions and uh, uh, build more cloud-native applications. Or this could be your target. Microsoft has already announced the next version of .NET is .NET Core, which is cross-platform. So uh, that works on both Windows and Linux. And that helps, again, customer have the choice of where they want to deploy their application. And so anything new that you're building, well, hopefully that's on .NET Core. So when you look at the rehost challenges uh, in a large enterprise or a big organization, you could have maybe physical servers, virtual servers, different versions of operating system, different versions of ISV solution, COTS applications. You always, uh, uh, so that increases the complexity of migration. While uh, 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 Rahul showed you a demo of Cloud Endure, uh, we'll look at what are the other services that can help you uh, do this kind of migration. And I'll go deep dive on Cloud Endure in a minute. So uh, one way to do that uh, is through Cloud Endure, because Cloud Endure uh, works on block-level replication. So that way it has support for, uh, it, it doesn't matter what's the operating system or the application. So it takes that complexity out, and it's a fully automated orchestrated solution that helps you to migrate any application, and it can be a migration or a DR solution. But let's say uh, you're looking, uh, uh, 
Cloud Endure requires an agent to be installed on every VM or every server that you are trying to replicate. But if, you're, uh, if you can't do that, then server man AWS server migration service can be another al alternate option, which is an agentless uh, option to uh, create snapshot of your VMs regularly at repeated intervals, puts it in S3, creates an AMI, and then you can build a cloud formation template, tag it to get the latest AMI and launch an environment based on that. So that creates one more uh, option for you. And the other option is through marketplace products. We have a very rich ecosystem of technology partners who build products to solve these problems. And they do their job pretty well as well. Like River Meadow can be used for uh, even replatforming your Windows uh, 2003 or 2008 instances to a more newer uh, Windows operating system. So uh, rehost and replatform, they support both. So just going a little bit deep on the cloud endure part, um, uh, it provides you a very robust, predictable, uh, non-disruptive continuous replication. So it's got three key parts. Um, get to that. So it's got one multi-tenant SaaS console that you can integrate with any of your access management uh, 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 applications. Second part is the agents that get installed on the source uh, servers. Third part is the replication servers, um, where uh, a, s a small size servers with uh, low cost storage options like HDD is created, which helps to just replicate your on-premises source servers on AWS. And at your given, uh, when you're ready, as, as Rahul showed you, if you remember the test mode and the cutover mode, during that time, you launch instances from this environment uh, onto a target subnet or a blueprint that you've created. Blueprint could be a complex blueprint or a simple thing as uh, VPC subnets and uh, instance IDs. So what, it, what it's actually also doing, if you see here, the cloud, it's a machine converter. Because you've got the blocks, but you also have to get the hypervisor level drivers, let's say the specific drivers for AWS. So it's doing all that conversion and then launching an instance in your target subnet, uh, making it uh, available for you to uh, access your application. And from a security perspective, uh, all the control plane, command and control is done through uh, over HTTPS uh, 443 port. And if you have any proxies in the environment, it supports that as well. The replication happens over TCP 1500 port where you control the traffic. Uh, everything's encrypted uh, in transit. And also, uh, you can uh, use KMS keys to encrypt the EBS volumes in the staging area. So it's a, it's, and it's also fault tolerant against network failures. That's very important. The agent is installed uh, in a non-disruptive way. It doesn't require any restart of your source servers. It, it it's, uh, works in the memory. It doesn't use local cache. And um, it has pointers to the blocks that it has replicated. So even if there's a network interruption, it can go back to the point where uh, uh, the last block was uh, moved and then start from there. Usually, uh, the source and target is just a few seconds behind. So this is a very good option for a very minimal downtime kind of a solution, very uh, low uh, RPO. So you can achieve that using this. Usually, the recovery time is also between 5 to 15 minutes. Uh, so once you want to do a test or cutover, it switches over very quickly. So this is a verbose slide that I, I'll do. I want to leave you with a, a bit of a guidance that if you can use, uh, if you can't use agents, that's where SMS is an option for you. Uh, if you uh, uh, 
if you are migrating physical servers, then SMS does not work, uh, server migration service, then cloud endure is one option. So, you may use this as a metrics to decide what works for you, but if you are looking at the one single tool that does migration and DR then and lowest skills, it is all fully automated, um, you can go for cloud endure. More information available here, but server migration service is very cost effective also. From a cost perspective, when you are using cloud endure, you are paying for those replication servers and the EBS volumes when it's uh, uh, when it's replicated in a way it's cost effective like if you're doing a sql server migration you don't you're not paying for the sql server licenses on the aws you're just paying you're just doing the block level replication so it could be cost effective but compared to server migration service there is not it's only amis that gets created in your account so uh, you can decide where, what works best based on your requirements yeah uh, i already talked about that uh, this you can use marketplace products or um, PowerShell DSC. Uh, one more mo mm, a pattern we see co with customers that they want to start afraid. They don't want sometimes to bring everything that they've got because they don't know what's there on the server. They're afraid of restarting that server. So they want to start fresh on a, but they have a standard operating procedure or install instruction on how to deploy whatever they need on the uh, target environment. So they launch a brand new AMI instance from a, a standard AMI, install any enterprise products that they need like antivirus or any other uh, core software, install the application and now they have an automated process to do this again and again. Image Builder which was announced uh, again earlier this week helps you to do all this in an automated fashion more easily. So all that can become a different way of operating model where you are not, um, uh, uh, not worried about how you got there to a particular server configuration, you are confident that you can repeat it again and again because you're, uh, you built an automated cycle to uh, install the application over the target AMI. So it can be in an, like a no patch uh, environment. So uh, .NET applications, uh, you have a lot of choices in where you can deploy an AWS environment um, and you can start small and then start refactoring. Uh, we find Windows container is a very uh, helpful way in getting you towards those outcomes. So if you can containerize your application and migrate to Windows containers on ECS, that could be a good starting point for you to at least those strategic apps where you see a lot of change happening, where you are eventually going down a, a microservices route. Uh, or, or, or in addition, we also see that customer, it's the breadth and depth of the platform. While you've migrated what you wanted, but then maybe there's a lot of stress on the database. You wanted to add an Elastic Cache service. Maybe there's a search functionality you did not have and you want to use Amazon Elastic Search. Maybe you want to add more notification, uh, push notifications to your app. So all those can start to like add up uh, uh, while you run your application, uh, once you start, once you've migrated the application to AWS. One uh, cool feature again this week that was announced was uh, GMS support in ECS and EKS. So Windows container is supported in both Amazon Elastic Container Service and Kubernetes Service. And GMS uh, feature allows you to even build, migrate AD integrated Windows application on uh, containers. So definitely look at that if you have AD, AD uh, aware workloads. Uh, so we, I think. What I really want to take away, what you, I expect you to take away from this slide is that depending on which method you use, uh, there's still a lot of automation that you can do uh, and you should focus on, I think if you can do that, like maybe build or extend a CI-CD pipeline for application migration, uh, that could give you a more repeatable uh, value. 
there's a lot of uh, stuff on how to build .NET code samples, and there's actually a good feature on the build .NET on AWS. You can subscribe, so any new announcement, any new blog, any article, you'll get uh, notification. So I encourage you to uh, do that or share that with your colleagues. Uh, the tool that Rahul showed you on uh, migrating ASP.NET website to Elastic Beanstalk, that's the third link there on the GitHub. So if you want to try it yourself, uh, you can share that with your team as well and, and do it. So what I uh, share that uh, is that many times we come across customers who say, um, I want to do only the perfect thing on cloud and build cloud native applications. But I would say we see the pattern that uh, uh, don't let perfect be the enemy of good enough. You are getting more benefits, higher performance, reliability, ability to innovate faster. So get started on the journey and you'll not be alone. We see that pattern quite commonly. A significant percentage of migrations are replatform and rehost. So uh, uh, certainly recommend to look at that. There's more information on prescriptive migration guidance uh, available. Yeah, so this is a, a very uh, common topic we come across with our customers. You will know Windows Server 2008 uh, is and 2008 R2 will be reaching end of support. And that means you will not uh, get security patches and you will run the compliance risk. And that uh, is a big concern for a lot of customers who, and we, because they have been running for over a decade applications on this uh, OS. Uh, one option is yes, you can buy an extended support uh, like from the uh, from Microsoft, but uh, I believe that you're just uh, stretching the inevitable because ultimately you're running on an OS that's not supported. So at some point you have to go and migrate. I think it's usually that refactoring is very difficult or time-consuming or uh, complex, and that's why you're not able to get there. And that's what we've heard. So we made it uh, simpler for customers. Uh, this was uh, I think released last year. Uh, where uh, you can, there are two ways to do a migration, I mean uh, upgrade, right? One is in-place upgrade, which is usually not recommended by Microsoft, but sometimes uh, uh, in AWS we say it's a two-way door. Uh, you can try it out, if it works for you, great. If not, then you have to do the migration. So what in-place upgrade uh, this automation tool does is that uh, if you have a Windows Server 2008 running and you use this tool, it will create an AMI from this, then uh, launch an instance from that AMI, do an in-place upgrade of the OS by keeping your um, personal files and application files same, intact, and then bring up the instance and give it to you. Usually if you have to do it yourself, it's a very meticulous task. Every step of the way you have to monitor it and do it well. But if this gives you an automated way, single click way to get it there, now you have an application running on a newer OS, you can test it. Um, uh, worst case, you the application doesn't work, you didn't get much information, but now you have a data that what did not work. And best case, it works. Now you have an older application running on a newer OS. You don't have to pay the extra uh, insurance. But then there could be scenarios in between. Like life happens, you could have either lost source code, cost product, and this tool shows that it doesn't work. Then what do you do? That's where we have uh, uh, launched a new offering uh, from partner-led, pro-serve-led offering from a patented technology which can, um, without refactoring your application code, it can help run the older applications on newer OS. So it's the win-win scenario where 
uh, you couldn't, it didn't work. Like for example, it could be a SQL 2000 application. It will not, if you try to install SQL 2000 on 2612 or 2016, it would say its operating system is not supported. But using this tool, this technology, uh, you can run SQL 2000 on a newer OS. So like that, if you have other application dependency that can be packaged and how it, and NAB from Australia, they are pursuing that for around 1,200 applications that they have on Windows 2003 to repackage them. And then they have a set of 4,500 applications on Windows 2008. So uh, I'm sure there are a lot of uh, applications you have that can fit into that. Uh, how it works is that you, uh, it's a packaging technology. So uh, you install the pa this uh, uh, tool um, on the same OS where your application runs currently on a different instance. And it does, uh, as you install the application, it identifies what are the dependencies of the application. For example, what registry keys it's dependent on or what IP addresses that it's, uh, maybe it has a database or some other network resource that they're trying to access. And then also it also supports runtime analysis of the application. And as a combination, it can repackage the application, create a redirection logic which comes in between and whatever is not supported by OS, it makes it, it uh, uh, intercepts those calls and makes it um, work for the application. So kind of making it independent of the operating system. It could be an iterative process, but still, it's an option worth uh, giving it a shot. And it, it's getting a lot of excitement since I, Sandy's announced it, um, uh, since it was announced this week. I think a lot of conversations on this already. So engage with a partner or processor, um, and that will help you leaving no app behind, whether it's uh, older OS or new. There are a lot of partners. Again, a link there if you want to go read more about it. Uh, last few things I want to leave you with is that you may also have desktop applications. For example, Windows Forms application. Uh, I have been into, I was with a consulting firm before I joined AWS and we've done many projects where we said, okay, if it's a thick client application, there's a lot of challenges already. You can't centrally manage it. You can't patch it. It depends on the end customer, user being online. And then if it's an end storefront app, how do you push the promotions? How do you create road shows? There's a lot of challenges in maintaining thick client application. And going from thick client to thin client is always a challenging process, multi-year project. But what if uh, you could take that thick application, um, thick client application, and access it over a browser, scale it to users across the globe? That can be done in a matter of a few days or uh, less with AppStream. You take your application, uh, as you install it on your uh, desktop, same you install it on a fleet of, uh, on an EC2 server, there's an image builder process uh, and a step-by-step -step guide. There is a short video link I've shared that walks you through that process. So what it does is you will install the application on an EC2 server and it intercepts the frames of your application and sends it over encrypted pixel over the browser. So it's, a, it's actually used a lot with MATLAB, CAD-CAM tools, um, oil and gas industries, a lot of products like that. And it can be used for like your IDE, Excel, Spreadsheet, Visio, you name it. Any desktop client application can be, uh, uh, this could be one option for you to modernize. And otherwise, if you need the full experience, then you can go for workspaces. So yeah, if you want to take that. So uh, to conclude, uh, uh, we talked about cloud formation a lot. I'd emphasize that it's really very powerful and you should look at uh, building more and more automation as you uh, start your journey on AWS. That helps you scale fast and do uh, make changes with confidence. I think as, dev 
as developers, we are always confident that if I have a bug, I have a source control, I can go back, revert my code. But as infrastructure, sysops uh, engineers haven't enjoyed that luxury uh, in uh, uh, typically. But now if you know, you can go back, like I added a FI load balancer, and I want to replace that with application load balancer and see how it works. I can do that, and I know if it doesn't work, I'll recreate. Uh, I'll update the template like a ver in version control and redeploy, and I'll have my environment. So it gives you a lot of power and flexibility. So we went through a lot. Uh, I know time was short. We tried to uh, 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 cover that you, I think some of the best practices to rec recollect uh, uh, is like definitely plan for an automated landing zone, because that will uh, help you uh, scale fast. Consider rehost and re-platform to unlock savings early. It, positions you for modernization faster. There are a lot of tools, comprehensive set of tools across the entire migration lifecycle from discovery to uh, planning to migrate and, and, and uh, uh, do it all together and, and flexibility to pick and choose the tools of your choice as well. Um, and always plan for uh, tests and validation, no matter even if it's a uh, re-host, there may be some tuning required based on the in storage, networking that you have to take into account. Mm. There's a very comprehensive plan on uh, how can we enable you to run large-scale migration. A lot of customers say, well, that's great. I've not done migration in like last 10 years, and I don't have people. I don't have the skills. Uh, how do I do that? We have packaged all our learnings of thousands of migration uh, of data center migrations and created programs around that, which covers uh, uh, the training part. Uh, it covers the tools, it covers the partners in the process of enablement, as well as enabling training and skill building in your own teams and bring it all together so that you can drive these large scale migration yourself with confidence. And, and the, uh, there's a lot of way to optimize cost, either you start with that or you just, cost optimization should be just the way you operate on AWS. Uh, so you should see that downward curve as you uh, build and migrate more applications on AWS. So with that, I'll leave you with these thoughts. Um, maybe go back, review, use a tool-based approach to see what you have in the environment, engage with an AWS uh, team to see, uh, or a partner, to see how, how can you sh showcase business value of migrating those applications to AWS. Always start small, build the muscle. Uh, it takes a while, uh, but it's, it's important to uh, like pick up an application that will help you learn something new. Uh, it will give you an artifact uh, which is uh, reusable, like a reference architecture, or it will uh, provide you outputs to assumptions that you've made in your business case. So pick up something small that adds value, but do it right, so that then you can scale fast. And then, yeah, uh, uh, you can always call a friend, uh, AWS ProServe partner, a lot of people in the community who can help you in this journey. You don't have to start alone. So with that, I'll say, yeah, um, thanks, thanks for your valuable time. Hope this was useful. Um, Hope you migrate and scale large Windows applications on AWS. Uh, I know we are on Thursday. There are a lot of sessions that happened. I left this information in here so that if you want to go back to those videos or slide share, you can access those uh, information. Thank you. And please, yeah, definitely leave survey feedback that helps us to improve uh, for the next session. Thank you. Thank you.